Hi, and welcome to the first edition of Let's Talk Housing. And first off, let's thank Trent Radio 92.7 FM in Peterborough for providing the space and providing the incentive to get this program on the air. We are going to have a podcast version as well available and uh, as well as the live radio show and the radio show is available at trentradio.ca and uh, it will be available live and hopefully there'll be a link to the podcast on there at some point as well and so to get started first off my name is Stephen Hailstrom I am a resident uh, of Workworth Ontario not far from Peterborough and uh, have been living here for a number of years. I am very interested in housing and in the effect of housing. And really, this show for me is really all about talking to people and hearing and then trying to do something or provide answers and look for solutions for our housing crisis. Right now in Canada, we are suffering with an inability for people to be able to afford housing and afford housing and afford housing is a challenging thing to say. I don't even really like to talk about the word affordable housing and instead I prefer to use the words financially accessible housing because Affordable, of course, is different to different people depending on their circumstances. However, it seems right now everybody is suffering with affordability unless you're way up in the food chain. But now rentals, um, housing, even, you know, it was only a short time ago people talked about how expensive it was in Toronto and Vancouver. And now it seems that it's overly expensive everywhere. Uh, it's hard to find a house, a place to either rent or buy that can fit into virtually any regular person's budget. So now about this show, really what I want to do is today we have two interviews, one with a young woman, late 20s, who is a budding professional and she is, uh, I interviewed her and talked to her, her name's Sahara, and I talked to her about just how difficult it is for young people and what some of the things are. I was, I was re-shocked, re-traumatized hearing some of the things about how expensive it is. She lives in the Toronto, in Toronto, and, but Toronto costing everything is really virtually identical to Peterborough. Right now in Peterborough, the vacancy rate is as close to zero as you can get. My second guest today is uh, a fellow I met a few months ago, and his name is uh, Enoch Say, Dr. Enoch Say. He's a professor as well as a full-time engineer, but both a person with a real social conscience, conscience, and he understands housing and the effect on people. And he's a great guy, and, and I'm really, I am hoping to have him back on the show to talk about a variety of different 
solutions. And he's also, like me, a solution-based person. So this is my first try at it here. So please, I would welcome comments of any kind. Uh, you'll find, I, I, I'm hopeful that the radio station will provide some way to contact me. Uh, I'm looking for people to interview. I want to hear stories. So please feel free to contact me. Okay, so we will hear from Sahara first and then Dr. Say. Thank you very much for your time. I'll say something at the end in the way of goodbyes. Hi, is this Sahara? Yes, it is. Hi, Sahara. This is uh, Stephen Hailstrom, uh, Trent Radio 92.7. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, and uh, our program is on Mondays, 9 o'clock, uh, live, if you want to see it. Plus, uh, I will send you when the program is after it's aired. I'll send you a uh, link to the podcast version. Uh, and again, thank you very much for coming on and talking. So, as you know, our program is called Let's Talk Housing. And our emphasis is first, my first question really is about what do you think the effect has been on you and your friends uh, with, you know, the cost of housing? You know, tell me what it's been like for you. Mm. Yeah, um, it's been stressful. I think that's the primary emotion uh, that we uh, collectively are going through. I think especially because I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I, I can speak for the folks I know who are, are primarily young professionals or those of us who are still in school working towards a professional career. Um, yeah, we're, we're stressed out. It's, um, it's not a great climate to be living in, in Toronto right now. Um, rent prices are just are so high. Um, we're finding ourselves in sometimes pretty scary housing situations, you know, when we're just trying to, to find um, a place to stay and live so that we can work. Um, that's usually why we're desperate for housing, right? We're coming here for jobs. We're coming here to find work. And um, because of the housing situation being so unstable and so inaccessible, um, it makes working even more difficult <laughs> than it already is. And, and the job market is a whole other story. So, yeah, um, stress is the overall pervading emotion. Right. So stress is the big is the big emotion. Right. I got it. And yeah. and so you said that some of your friends have scary situations. And actually, before mm -hmm. I get into that, if you don't mind, like, what what are you or your friends like? What percentage? So you say you're 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 going to school or your your friends are young professionals. So you're 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 not making minimum wage. You're not at minimum wage jobs, generally speaking. Um, and yet, a percentage of your income you end up spending on housing. Sorry, could you just repeat that? I think our connection dropped for a second. Sure, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, my question really is. If you don't mind, would you mind sharing what you what you might estimate what percentage of your income, like your gross income, that you spend on housing and associated housing things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely guesstimate it right now. But so I am not currently working like a full time job because I am in school. Um, but I was working a time job here in Toronto. Um, I've been living here for over a year now. And I was working most of that time 
in a full-time position. I was making barely over minimum wage, and I was absolutely spending, like, if I could guesstimate it, I feel like I was, I'll think about this, actually, I was spending close to 50% of my earnings on rent, just rent. So that's aside from utilities, bills, that's aside from groceries, that's aside from transportation, entertainment, anything else. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, not acceptable. It's not, it's not sustaining you, that's for sure. Um, Right. And I'm not, not sure if you're aware, but the CMHC, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing uh, Corporation, they recommend that the most, right, 30%. Yes, you know that. Yeah. And, and so among your friend groups, you say that they're all in that sort of range. And you're all, I'm taking you're all in your mid Sorry, I think I lost you there for a second. But yes, we are all around, yeah, I would say mid to late 20s for the most part. Um, and I think it really varies. It depends what sector they're in and what they're making. Um, as I had mentioned before, I was making, you know, just over minimum wage. So my example is a, perhaps more on the severe side or, or more on the side of, of barely making ends meet. I know some of my friends are, they're, they're doing okay. They definitely have jobs that are, are paying better. Um, they're in different sectors like tech, consulting, or I'm trying to think if there's anything else in there. But yeah, primarily that. And even, even still, I think they're they are still struggling because and I, I should also mention I have the I have a bit of a leg up because I live with my partner and we split rent. And that here in the city is a huge advantage. If you are single and you are looking for housing on your own or even with roommates, it still is a much more difficult um uh task to find yourself housing. Yeah. Right, and that's what I was going to say. So you're spending 50% of your income for 50% of the rent. Yeah. Right. So that's that. Yeah. yeah. That, exactly. That, that, it's a lot. And it's and, wild. Yeah. Yeah, because certainly I have found that lots of people like it, it used to be. I mean, I'm not a young person, but it used to be that you know by the time you were your age and you finished school, then you'd be getting your own apartment at least. And mm-hmm. now it seems as though people, it's affordable, very unaffordable for people who are have their own place. Like I don't know a lot of people who are on their own who have their own accommodation unless they're in their pay, parents' basement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I know a handful of people my age or around my age who own homes. And the only reason any of them own a home or in the or are in the process of owning a home is because of parental support, because their parents helped them um, financially to be able to take that step. Um, yeah, I, I don't know anyone my age right now who has been successful in, in saving up a down payment for owning a home at this point in their lives. And I'm I'm 28. So I'm on the later side of my 20s, and and even even those in my own age bracket or older, um, none none of my friends own um, own their own home by by just by their own means. That's for sure. Right, and the parents, I'm assuming, they probably either either have you know are are wealthier 
or they have maybe had a property and sold that property at a, at, at a higher price and were able to then support their kids that way. I know that's certainly a way that uh, I'm aware of that people are, are dealing with. So, so knowing this problem, and it sounds like it's kind of a pervasive in with you and in your friend group that, you know, everybody is aware. I mean, I, I talked to like a 15-year-old a uh, young uh, person one time, and she was thinking about yeah, that she could never own a home. Uh, and I was thinking, wow, at 15, you're worrying about owning a home and uh, or even being able to have a place of your own. It it must be very pervasive or challenging. And have any of your friends ever experienced this renovation thing that people uh, talk a lot about, you know, where they're in a place and it might be a reasonable price, but the landlord, you know, gives them a notice saying they're going to renovate it and then they just end up increasing the price? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that happens very often. I've experienced it personally um, twice. Oh, now. I didn't realize. Well, I'm in the oh. process of it happening again. <laughs> yeah, uh, my my current apartment, which is where I've lived since I moved to Toronto, um, my landlords who have been wonderful um, are selling it, and it's because they are not able to afford um, their their mortgage on it anymore. Um, just because of the interest rates skyrocketing recently. Um, and so they are selling it because of that. But I guess more specifically what you're asking about is that where a landlord will evict you so they can renovate, in quotations, and uh, and up the rent for the next um, renter. And, yeah, I mean, it happens all the time. I think, let's see, uh, my friend who just signed on for a new lease, she was um, – She'd been looking for a number of months because uh, she was subletting here in Toronto and uh, was really struggling to find a place. Um, the kind of what happens here, I don't know for other cities, but I'm sure it, it happens elsewhere too, is they, they often really set you up for a bidding war. And so you'll place your offer. They will say that they can't get back to you until the next week. And by that point, they've had enough time to get enough offers and hike up the price even more from what they're asking. And it's it's just crazy, this cycle of, of placing an offer. You're locked in until it um, expires. And it just takes away time from your ability also to continue looking when in reality you're up against people who are putting down, you know, six months rent in advance or, you know, offering twice what the landlord what um the landlords are asking for in rent and it it just feels it does feel like a losing game for sure um so this friend of mine she finally did find a place but the one she almost got before this um i think was a a home in which the landlords had evicted their prior um tenant on the on the grounds of we, we need to do renovations <laughs> Um, so they could increase the rent. And it was interesting because when my friend went to look at the place, it was it was not renovated. It was not newly renovated as it said it, it you know, should have been. Um, the backyard was basically a junkyard. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, people people will, will do a whole lot of things. I mean, the craziest stuff you'll see here is, like, and I see it every single day on social media, people offering, like, what I, I just saw today, someone offering – a bed, a mattress on the floor in a kitchen, a shared kitchen. 
for $950 a month. Oh, my God. Really? Yes. In Toronto. Or, yes, in Toronto. Yep, in Toronto. Or, you know, the other day I saw you could could rent a bed on a bunk bed, so one of the bunks, in a foyer, someone's entrance hall, in a shared home. And your kitchen was in the garage. This is real. I'm not kidding. And you paid... Uh, I think it was seven fifty a month for that. This wasn't in downtown. I think this was somewhere in the GTA. But even so, <laughs> yeah, pretty wild. Wow. Yeah, that is, mm-hmm. and that kind of brings me to my, which are one is, and you see any solution? Use the solution is, and secondly, what do you think the our government, whether it's municipal, provincial, federal, think they what's the most important they do to make a difference to all of them? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is where I don't know that I can give any uh, meaningful insight because I don't have the um, knowledge. I haven't done, you know, deep research in this or anything or have like, I, I, I personally, I don't feel like I have a, a, a good understanding of the legislation on all of this. So, I mean, solution-wise, I just, this is, it's it's terrible because I'm just going to generalize too much. But I, I would say, like, I mean, capitalism is is an evil thing that Sorry, is really tearing that, apart. Sorry, just say that again. The phone did glitch. But something is very yeah. evil, but I didn't hear the word. <laughs> oh, well, the word that you can probably guess is capitalism. And I know I'm, I'm. I am making very broad generalities here, and, and I know that's not really your question, but I, I don't feel like I speak to it on on a specific level because I don't have that understanding of legislation on the topic, um, which I would like to. I would really like to have that um, that background, and maybe one day I will dive into it deeper. But, yeah, I mean, at this point, I just see you know, us humans as a part of a system that is not built to support our human our, our basic human rights and needs, right? And I think to me that's what it boils down to, and what I see is just like this, this, um, in, this disinterest in human compassion, in in supporting, you know, quality of life that anyone might um, might want and deserve, right? And we're so we're so complacent when it comes to the conditions in what in which we're we're asked to live in, and it's it's pretty wild. And I mean we're sitting here talking about housing and like the state of things and how bad it is to in, in order to get housing. And yet there's a whole other portion of our population here in Toronto that housing's not even an option. You know, they, they are homeless. They are houseless. They don't even have uh, access the platforms on which I have access to find housing. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, just having access to a phone or social media in order to find housing, right? And so, I don't know, it just, it seems to me like our system is not built for those of us who struggle financially. It is built for those of us who, for whatever reason, have thrived financially. And everyone else is left behind, and there's no, there are no safeguards in place to protect to, to protect people who, who are struggling financially. And, it, and I know there are safeguards, there are supports, but they are few, they're far between, and they're not easily accessible. And so um, I know Mayor Olivia Chow 
um, that is a, it's a big concern of hers. And she is, you know, I think, I think actively um, addressing some of these concerns more so than other than, than the previous mayors, that's for sure. Um, I don't know, but at this point, it's sad, but I do feel very discouraged. I feel really saddened by what I'm seeing in the city and like just the the degeneration of of the state of things for people. I live um, in a decently safe and affluent portion of the city, you know, pretty central in downtown. And still, I mean, walking around late at night um, can be scary. It can be dangerous. It can be heartbreaking because of what you see on the streets and not just in the night. I mean, all day long, you see people really deeply struggling and, and we become so blind to it and just willing to, you know, go about our day, walk by it, not think much of it because it's, you know, it's normal. It's very normal. Yeah. Very glad you brought that up because I agree with yourself. And it is incredibly sad. And I can tell you this, this uh, program, as you know, airs on a Peterborough radio station. And mm-hmm. uh, and I know you're I know you're in Toronto, but Pete exactly wrote uh, um, a um, Tim Horton just the other day, and there were not only people obviously homeless sitting on kind of the step outside the the uh, Tim Hortons, but there was a fellow you know close to my own age lying down trying to have a nap on on the curb, and I could tell by looking at him that he wasn't you know, a typical um, homeless person probably didn't have enough money for his rent. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, it was just unfortunate. And all of us, or a big a big chunk of us, are that close uh, to the same situation. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you brought that up because, yes, people can. And it really shows, because the, the, and I know you've talked about Toronto, uh, uh, but it's also just it's, it's the way of everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. It's it, everything. Everything is like this. everywhere in Canada, even small towns, big cities. There are people who are just unable to have a roof over their head. And I think you put it well in saying that it is it's a human right. And I agree. It is our right, as certainly as Canadians, that we should be able to work, live, have a roof uh, without working 20 hours a day to be able to afford, as you said, a top bunk in someone's hallway. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, and it, it's sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. my opinion, and I'm sure my, my listeners will hear this more than once, my opinion is that our government is not doing what it should in order to ensure that these basic that basic human dignity is um is looked after for for the people who live in anyway yeah i mean um, absolutely agreed they're they're not i mean with the state of affairs as they are right now i think any government that actually cared about what their citizens were going through would be doing a whole lot more to rectify the situation because it is so out of hand and yet not much is being done. Yeah, they're maybe talking about it a bit, but what actually, what emergency measures are being taken? Because in my opinion, this is an emergency. Right, exactly. I agree. I mean, they can come up with an off. Anyway, yeah, I won't even get into this few yeah. years and how those are emergency measures, but somehow 
thousands of people sleeping on the street is not an emergency. Uh, I don't understand. But anyway, okay. Thank you very much for your time today. Is there any finishing final words you want to say to the audience before we say goodbye for today? No, I think that was it. Happy to speak to you today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Really appreciate your time and um, have a wonderful day and Sahara. Okay. Have a good one. Bye for now. Thanks. You too. It really is a struggle for young people today to be able to look towards the future and see a way that they will be able to afford proper housing, places they live, places they love, places that they can enjoy. This housing crisis is truly affecting everyone. And now, Dr. Say. First of all, thank you for having me, Stephen, um, to be on your podcast. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's my honor to be here uh, this morning. Um, so my name is Dr. Enoch Say. I am an adjunct professor of uh, community psychology and public policy at Adler University in Vancouver. Um, I'm also a uh, senior engineer of the, at the Ontario government. That's my full-time career. Uh, I have an undergrad in uh, engineering. Uh, my master's, my two master's are in public policy and also in public administration, and my PhD is in public policy. Um, so it's, uh, uh, when it comes to affordable housing or accessible housing, it's one of my, uh, it's one of the issues that's very near and dear to me, so I'm very glad to be. Wow, yeah, and, and uh, I'm impressed by all of that. So two masters and a PhD. Okay, you've spent a lot of time at school, but I know uh, we met at a uh, at a conference in Toronto, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it was it was great to talk to you then. And I I know that you know, almost more than anything, you have a really good understanding of you know the effect of not having housing, mm-hmm. uh, not having decent housing, and how important it is to have good housing. So maybe we could start by, you know, really just talking a little bit about that and, and uh, your experience and maybe what, what you've seen with your own, with your own students and, and you're in your own uh, work life. Yeah. Um, so as I was mentioning before, I, I teach in uh, a master's program at Adler University and the majority of my students are international students. Uh, so they usually would have been living in Canada for maybe a little bit a year, about a year, a year and a half. So they're, they're rather new to Canada. And uh, uh, they would be coming from all around the world. They would be coming from, uh, the majority of them coming from South Asia, uh, some of them from Southeast Asia, from Africa, uh, from uh, South America, or even Eastern Europe. Uh, so they are basically from all around the world, and they would be telling me a lot of stories about their experiences in uh, finding housing in uh, Vancouver because the majority of because all my students are in Vancouver, and Vancouver is really not much different when it comes to housing costs and accessibility compared to uh, the the GTA. Uh, so I've heard a lot of uh, stories from them about how difficult. Uh, it is for them to find housing, uh, to find a place to live. Um, 
and also here in Toronto myself, I've also seen the uh, the issue when it comes to uh, housing as well. Oftentimes, uh, people have to wait uh, a decade uh, on a on a wait list uh, before they can get into any kind of uh, uh, housing that will be subsidized or uh, any kind of social housing. So um, the cost is not just the only issue, the cost to income ratio. Obviously, that's a big problem with the inflation that's coming up, but also how easy or how hard it is uh, to get into this housing is also part of the issue. Right. Yes. And it's and, and just so everybody understands, so you teach at Adler and, and you teach remotely, right? So you're, uh, because yeah. you're located in Toronto, right? And, yes. uh, and so you're but you live in you live in you but you teach in vancouver wow this is really fantastic really for for our audience to hear because your experience like it's across canada so and beyond because so you live in toronto you teach in vancouver your students are from all around the world and uh this uh this is originating in peterborough just a little bit east of the gta and interestingly peterborough uh, although it's, you know, of course, much smaller than Toronto, uh, has in our vicinity here in Peterborough, is ha, has the largest homeless problem, and also ha, has like basically a zero rental vacancy, and also is a university town, and has a a, a lot of of um, uh, uh, international students. And, and before we go any further, you, you know, sometimes in this, and I'm sure the listeners will hear me in other, uh, other interviews referring to affordable housing. And really, I, I think it was you when we've been talking is, and I agree with you, a better term for that really is like either, either accessible or financially accessible. And, and you just mentioned it, which I thought was good. And I think I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm, 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 I'm going to use this. It's like cost to income ratio, uh, which is like the cost of your housing versus your income. So someone who is in a minimum wage job, uh, which we need people working at, you know, at uh, retail stores and at the places that are paying that or can only afford to pay that. Uh, we, we need and want people working at those, but those people are just as deserving of decent housing as someone who is a, uh, a professional engineer or a lawyer or a doctor who's making, you know, a lot more, you know, a lot more annual and, uh, you know, everybody deserves a home. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially, um, especially when it comes to uh, the issue uh, with young people, with international students, um, they are definitely taking the blunt of the problem in, in many ways. Um, like you mentioned about their, uh, depending on their identity, right? And for decades, um, the wages haven't kept up with the, the housing costs, as you very well know. And because that the, the young people, international students, they don't have much savings in the beginning because of the tuition costs, uh, they would have to rent if they need their own space. Uh, they cannot put a down payment on a you know, million dollar home uh, in order to, to, to have their own space. So in the beginning when they, either because that they just got out of school or they just arrived in Canada, they're not making much higher than the minimum wage right? because of the lack of experience, because of the lack of um, 
in terms of Canadian experience, what I would call because their previous experience from back home um, is not recognized, and age is also part of the problem as well. So the rent is really eating up the majority of their paycheck. No, not including the food costs and transportation costs. So, so their ability to save up is much slower uh, than the previous generation. So, and um, so, so what happens too is that in this case they're they're living in this perpetual state of living paycheck to paycheck, and and when that happens, oftentimes is that they start to lose their sense of belonging in society. And as humans, having that belongingness is one of our basic needs. We have to belong somewhere. We have to belong to a tribe, uh, to a group. And when when you lose that sense of belonging, it starts to impact your mental health quite significantly. And one of the key tenets when it comes to the sense of belonging is the 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 ability to make an impact on yourself and on the community as well. And when they live in this perpetual um, poverty and very little room to escape it, uh, they feel that they cannot integrate into the society and be part of it. Right, and and that would also impact their social climate perception as well, because how they feel they're being treated, you know, whether because that they are from they they came from another country, or that uh, because they are younger, uh, also is part of that sense of belonging as well. So yeah, definitely, age is not the uh, the only factor here. Yeah, and and you described that very well, and I think that that condition then promotes the kind of promotes bad behavior, if I can put it that way. Uh, it by not being able to feel comfortable in your world. And it's almost like you begin to feel like nobody cares, right? Like they, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, there's nobody there for you. You're on your own and everybody is, is, you, you know, there just is no support system. And, and it's interesting that, the unfortunately or fortunate I don't know how to describe it, but there is certainly a push by the universities and colleges to encourage international students to come to Canada, to come to the schools because it provides direct income for the schools which are underfunded by the tax dollars. So they see this as a way of adding, you know, adding more funding to their school and then they, the, the international students go, hey, Canada's a great place to live. I want to come. I want to get a Canadian education, it, uh, all of these things. But then they get here and they're renting, you know, the best they can do is rent, you know, a top bunk uh, in a hallway uh, mm-hmm. and pay nine, $900 a month. And um, I know in Peterborough, it has the same challenges as uh, Toronto does, as Vancouver has. And it seems now the cost of housing overall, uh, although even like two years ago or three years ago, both Vancouver and Toronto were seen as the most expensive places. Uh, it seems as if, unfortunately, it's leveling off where it's almost like everywhere is is expensive or seems to be overpriced. Um, yeah, and it's in addition to that, too, um uh, there are other factors as well um, that uh, international students pay as much as three times in tuition costs uh, compared to domestic students. Uh, they don't get a discount on housing just because they pay more tuition, right? So, uh, so 
so they're even more marginalized as a result than domestic students. Um, they, they, they have to pay the same as everyone else. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, international students in, in many ways when they first arrive in the country. And, and, and it is not surprising in a way that they, they see Canada as, uh, as a way to a better life. Uh, there are a lot of promotion um, uh, from tourism, uh, from the government to uh, to say that, uh, oh, I think that there was a list recently and they were listing Canada as the best, second best place in the world to live. Um, I always take those lists with a grain of salt um, because they're often done from the lens of people who are privileged. Um, so when you have these kinds of lists uh, to promote the, the country as, yeah, come over here, you, your life will be better than when you were before, and then they, they came here to realize that the, the story is the exact opposite of that. So it, it, becomes a, it becomes an issue because they spent all that money to, to move to another country, so they're stuck here, right? They cannot just go back. Um, and then they are perpetually uh, being oppressed, you know, especially financially, uh, and also other systemic issues as well, causing them to make it harder for them to make money and then they have to spend more as a result. So it, it is it is a it is a very wide ranging and interconnected problem. Right. Yes. And it's 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 a it's just like who with uh, not the non student uh, population. It's a very complex problem that seems to be affected by both social and financial. Uh, maybe those are <laughs> interconnected as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that are happening that create this crisis and certainly now it seems as if the our governments are i i i don't know maybe they're paying more attention i i'm i'm sometimes confused quite on it and i'm a, a little tainted i guess with the governments but i just i i feel that it's that they seem to be paying more attention now uh but still seem to be there, there's very little action and and it's an unfortunate thing and that's Again, the, the listeners will often hear me say, you know, governments are lots of talk, but not not a lot of action. Uh, although, you, you know, in the last while, certainly the provincial government has been doing something to speed up the process of the construction of new housing by uh, by pushing municipalities to speed up their process for permit approvals and things like that. Um, uh, but uh, but I, I just sometimes feel that it's just lip service. Uh, however, it's an it's a it's a whole different conversation. Um, and maybe one of the things I could ask is that do you do you see any like if you could if you had a magic wand and you could just make a couple of things happen, what do you think would be the most important things to change or to make happen that would get the biggest impact? For this problem, for and it can be specifically for students because I know that's something that's close, you know, near and dear to your heart, um, or you know, in any sort of other way in housing. Is there? Do you have any ideas on that? Yeah, uh, I, one thing that you mentioned earlier, and it is also important to address when I talk about this magic wand that I purportedly would have, uh, is the the the, the, the availability. Uh, the supply of it. And supply is definitely uh, 
one of the main issues as well. But I think that supply is just a small fraction of the problem uh, because that even though that there might be more supply, uh, there's still this systemic discrimination because that we have more and more people are coming into the country. So the, the growth of the population are vastly outpacing the supply. Of, of of housing, so uh, there's still going to be competition. There's still going to be uh, a point where oftentimes uh, landlords can pick and choose uh, who they uh, let in, uh, who they want to uh, have as tenants. So uh, there are two aspects that I see uh, to be an issue when it comes to um, dealing with the housing housing problem. And what I would like to oppose is these two aspects and. Um, I think that first of all, we, we we can all agree that housing is a human right, right? It's not a privilege. Um, so I think that these are the two angles that we can approach from a human rights perspective. The first part is to target the capitalism, right? target the, the money aspect. I think that that's going to be important because oftentimes landlords get into the market because they want to make money from the property, um, and uh, not just to you know pay the pay the bills, but also to make money. From the property as well, so they see it as a business business venture. Uh, the other uh, aspect would be systemic discrimination uh, that we uh, that we have talked about earlier. Uh, now we understand that capitalism is one of the many factors that fuel the the, the crisis. Um, so what I would advocate is what I would call a model that's called non-profit rental model. What I would call. In other words, what that would do is that if someone wants to rent out a property, uh, they would have to submit to the tenant uh, an analysis of the total cost, okay? Uh, conducted by someone would be, who would be similar to an appraiser uh, of that unit that they're renting out per month, okay? And obviously that would change month by month. So uh, the, the, the rental price that the tenant uh, would be paying should cover those those costs only, rather than uh, so that means breaking even rather than making a profit. Okay, uh, the submission of that analysis should be done on a month to month basis because oftentimes the, uh, the 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 expenses in the winter is much higher than in the in the summer for for obvious reasons. Uh, so the idea here is transparency. Uh, the, the, the transparency between the tenant and the landlord is going to be important. Uh, that's one aspect that I would approach um, uh, from is, is from the capitalism perspective. And the other one, uh, when it comes to uh, discrimination or systemic discrimination, I think that there should be more education on the issue uh, for uh, would-be landlords, right, before they enter into the market. There should be... Um, Things such as implicit bias training, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion training, uh, to also understand the, the problem with capitalism. Why is it that making profit can be a vicious cycle uh, to, to worsen the housing crisis? All of these things, I think, that should help address um, the, the stereotypes and, and prejudices that oftentimes we don't know what we have. So these are the, these are the two aspects that I think that uh, we should uh, that I that I think that we should we should approach in order to help deal with the housing crisis. So obviously, it, there, there, it is a much bigger problem, and there are other aspects that need to look into as well. Um, but uh, these are the two two things that I would like to I would like to target 
Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. And if I if I talk a little bit about from my experience, the these two things uh, and get some feedback from you. So the capitalism part, mm-hmm. I, I feel that that landlords would say, well, their simple answer to that plan, the nonprofit uh, rental model is they're going to say, well, you know, why do I want to buy a house and have, you know, do these things or look after it if I'm not, if it's going to be for nonprofit. So uh, my kind of response to that is I know that in British Columbia, the British Columbia government a number of years ago, uh, I was involved in a, in a plan that they issued for how when during housing, you know, when they were trying to build more housing, where they offered uh, not-for-profit organizations, you know, like the YMCA or, or whatever these uh, organization is, where they would... Uh, they would assist in building new rental housing, and then, but what the condition was is that they had to have a, a, a the, all of the rentals had to be based on income. But then the government would give them a contract for paying the difference between the uh, the subsidized amount and the going rate, and would pay that difference to the operator of the building. And uh, now that never was actually implemented that I'm aware of. Uh, And it is one that was used many years ago in Ontario, a a similar model, but I'm not aware that any governments are doing this sort of thing right now. And for me, that seems to be kind of a, you know, an incentive overall. So it helps to pay for the construction or or finances construction of new new buildings and it gives an opportunity for uh for uh financially accessible housing based on people's ability to pay cost to income ratio um and at the same time the operator of the building makes a reasonable profit based on the going rate for an apartment mm-hmm. what would you would that solve the problem for you do you think that would still you know i mean it, kind of hybrid capitalism (laughs) yeah and and i and i think that uh it goes back to what i was saying in the beginning when i first uh, attempted to answer your question is uh that we still need to hit home or it need to hammer home with the uh concept that it is a human right right it is not a privilege it is a human right uh so no one should be going into the rental property or the rental market to lose money I would agree with that, right? Uh, it makes no sense. Uh, there's no point for them to do that, right? But to understand that it is a human right, uh, and that is, it goes back to perception. It goes back to the, uh, the, the, the systemic aspect that we see when it comes to money that we always try to grow, right? The idea that we always have to grow and make a profit, like how much money are we making this, this month? Oh, we are not making as much as last uh, last month, so we need to somehow grow it, right? They will also help fuel the inflation and, and, and all of those things. So I think that it goes back to the perception that we have. It goes back to the basic concepts that we have uh, as a society when it comes to what is housing. Uh, to, to go back to the fact that it is a right, not a privilege, uh, it's not going to be a magic uh, solution in terms of, yeah, we're going to solve the housing crisis overnight just because we tell everyone that it's a human right. It's going to take time. 
uh, to slowly uh, change their perception, to move the understanding uh, of the of the landlords uh, that uh, they see it as a way that they are trying to solve a crisis, to provide housing to people, um, and not using it as an opportunity to enrich themselves because. Uh, it, it just perpetuates the idea that everybody should enrich themselves and that the housing become an investment rather than a, rather than a, uh, rather than a, like a service per se. Uh, so I think that uh, go, going back to that perception, I think would, would help uh, in addressing the issue. Right. Yes. No. And I think that's, that's very well said and you are correct. And uh, that it's not something that happened or can happen overnight, but, it sure would be great to have people on board with being able to uh, to do that because I mean I chuckled when uh, chuckled to myself when you were saying about how the profit always needs to go up because just mm-hmm. recently you know on just a quick sidebar on Costco Costco my wife discovered that Costco changed uh, the toilet paper and reduced the amount of toilet paper in for the same price. But they try to mask it by, uh, you, you know, by saying it's got more, it's softer and more air in it. And here, uh, for me, that's a great example of a company trying to, uh, you know, trying to find a way to, that they still have to increase the profit. Even though they were already making money selling lots of toilet paper, they have to then suddenly come up with a new way uh, or another way to make more money at it. And uh, sometime or another, that needs to slow down and stop uh, in order for for us to realize as humans, we have a, you know, responsibility to each other to have, you know, kind of like, a, you know, to have the opportunity for a regular human life. Anyway, um, and that brings me the other thing that you didn't talk that much about, and maybe it, we'll wrap it up with this, which is, you talked about the uh, systemic discrimination. Um, and the other part I don't want to forget is, because uh, we talked about financially accessible, but then the other kind of group that struggles with housing is uh, people who are looking for accessible, accessible housing uh, and kind of the lack of that. So maybe those last two things, if you wouldn't mind giving me a couple of words on those two things with your experience, the systemic discrimination and then the accessible housing for people who need uh, accessible housing. Yeah, uh, thank you for bringing that up, uh, Stephen. That's something that I also wanted to talk about, but I guess I got a little bit carried away with the other things. Um, yeah, uh, so <laughs> yeah, definitely we, we, we talk a lot about Asian. Also, uh, it's, it's not the only factor. Uh, what I wanted to also add is that uh, for international students, for instance, uh, in, in in addition to age, in, the, in addition to the lack of Canadian experience, quote unquote, uh, they also have to deal with uh, xenophobia. Uh, oftentimes, if they don't speak English perfectly, uh, landlords seem to not want to rent to them uh, for some reason, and uh, they also have to deal with racism. Oftentimes, especially uh, uh, students uh, from Southeast Asia. Uh, from South Asia, especially those uh, areas where people perceive them to be quote-unquote third world country or poor countries. Uh, they often tend to not uh, have as much accessibility to those housing 
because they're being seen as someone that who doesn't have who don't have a lot of money. Classism is also an issue as well, um, especially those uh, students with small children, for instance. Uh, I have uh, students uh, who are women, and uh, when they have small children, oftentimes landlords don't want to rent to them as well. Uh, so it depends on your on the, on the composition of your identity. You would have vastly different experiences when it comes to um, accessing this housing. Obviously, also if you have any kind of disability, for instance, the uh, the supply of those uh, housing is even more scarce. Um, so so yeah, uh, definitely affordability is not the only issue, but also to people of color to people with disability, to immigrants, to women, uh, all of these uh, identities, when they intersect with one another and combine or interact with one another, also help fuel the housing crisis. So yeah, systemic discrimination is a, it's a very interdependent problem. Yes, and, and it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting problem right now, I think, also because so many people believe that we have overcome a lot of those discrimination issues or are at least in process but yet when the reality is for the people involved that it's still there and it's even there to a point where you know it's acceptable i was at i was at dinner with a group of people and a bunch of them were south asian and the owner of the restaurant made a made a comment about you know this food will be good for the uh what did he say the 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 brown skin people mm. and uh and he just made it like a and and just made it as a it wasn't meant to be a particularly awful comment or anything uh it was just a comment about the food thinking that this would be better for them so afterwards uh the host for the evening noticed this as well and he asked the group well you know, I'm sorry that happened. You know, that was unfortunate that person made that remark. And their response was, oh, well, you know, it happens all the time. So it's very, I found that very interesting and very sad because uh, that discrimination was so prevalent for them that uh, they, you know, just think of it as normal. And in mm -hmm. my Canadian society, I really think that that's unfair. And it's not, no, it shouldn't be normal, but yet, at the same time, I realized for myself, uh, even notice that the person said it. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> so yeah, discrimination is a is an is an odd one, especially in Canadian society right now. At least it's in transition, I think, to a more positive way. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's very it's very insidious as well because no one's going to tell you that. Yeah, I'm not going to rent to you because you're brown skin. Uh, no one's going to tell you that I'm not going to rent to you because you have a small child. Um, no one's going to outwardly, overtly say that, but they will use different uh, ways to um, uh, to not rent to you or to use other tactics to not rent to you. Uh, that would obviously be be a disadvantage for you because, uh, for instance, if you are already marginalized because of your identity they would use that opportunity to jack up the, 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 the rental price because they know that you are in desperate situation, right, because of your identity. So it, it is kind of a way that uh, the system can be used to, 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 to marginalize people even further. Right. And, and 
I, I, I mean, I agree that 100%, but I also want to recognize that sometimes these things happen, like even maybe for this, this person at the restaurant, it happens subconsciously. Like you're not even aware that you're doing it. Like a landlord will see somebody and make a decision not to rent to them mm-hmm. uh, without even knowing why they're making that decision. And mm-hmm. from their own cultural upbringing, it's because they have brown skin or because they're disabled. Maybe it's because they're disabled and they're afraid that their you know, wheelchair is going to mark up their floors. Uh, and uh, like these are things I think, and perhaps I'm giving people maybe the benefit of the doubt too much. But I think sometimes it is done subconsciously, uh, but other times certainly very consciously and very much a decision, um, you know, that's made consciously because they have that uh, ingrained prejudice. Uh, and that's the reason why I mentioned, and that's the reason why I mentioned earlier about the implicit bias training, um, that uh, we have yes. prejudices and stereotypes that we don't even know that we have. Uh, so, yeah, I echo that uh, with what you said there. It's oftentimes we're doing it without realizing it because it's so ingrained in our, uh, in our perception. Great. And maybe on that note, we will finish for today. But I'm hoping, uh, Enoch, that we'll be able to talk again another time because mm-hmm. you really are, uh, have a depth of understanding with these challenges. And I'm sure that uh, our listeners would appreciate Uh, us talking again at another time and um, you know I really wanted to thank you again for for coming on the show and uh, your time is truly appreciated and your knowledge Uh, thanks for having me Stephen thank you for having me yeah no no problem thank you okay I'm back again and wow I really enjoyed talking with both Sahara and Dr. Say and you know I'm really looking forward to hearing from more people hearing again from Dr. Say, and just hearing from other people's stories. I only have a couple of moments left before the end of my hour, but I just wanted to first off tell you about an interview that I've already got with a landlord, an individual guy, and he he wants to share his story about what it's like to be a landlord and the challenges associated with that. Especially, he's not a big landlord, he's a great guy, but, you know, He's got his own challenges because sometimes people who are renting, because of their own situation, end up feeling like they need to take advantage of the landlord. And we do need fairness all around, so it's really a worthwhile interview to listen to. And then I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about myself. I didn't at the beginning, but I'm in the housing world, build, manufacture, construction as a whole. And at some point, I'm going to talk about the problems in the construction world and in in the municipal government world that helped cause a lot of these challenges. Like, why is it that we can't have more housing, adequate housing? Why is it that we have to deal with such high prices for housing? It just seems unfortunate. Okay, looking forward to my next episode. Please check me out, find out about it at a podcast as well as our live feed on Trent Radio 92.7 in Peterborough. Thank you very much for everybody. This has been great. I'm really looking forward to subsequent hours. It goes by so fast. It's unbelievable. Thank you very much.
Really appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Peace.